Hey, it's Anita, and this is Bitcoin and Co. Mastering Freedom. Hello, girls and boys, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode. It's number 81 of the Bitcoin and Co. podcast. Today's guest is Elise Peterson. She is a food scientist and the founder of TLET, a wholesale tea supply chain network. TLET's business model is based on cutting out unnecessary middlemen between tea growers and buyers, same like in Bitcoin. Since 2013, TLET is using Bitcoin for payments, which eliminates the inefficiencies of global financial systems and saves a lot of transaction costs. TLED was one of the first companies worldwide to use Bitcoin. If you have a question, send me an email to hello at anitaposch.com. That's posh with a C in between the S and the H. Or you can also visit anita.link forward slash 81, where you will find an audio recorder to send me a voice message. You will also find the show notes of this conversation on this page. My goal is to educate as many people as possible about Bitcoin. If you like what I do, please contribute and support my work with a monthly subscription. You will get bonus content, early access and ad-free episodes. If you prefer, you can also donate Bitcoin and Lightning. Visit anita.link forward slash p for more information. Now, a word from my sponsors and then enjoy the conversation. Shift Crypto and the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. I did an interview with the inventor of the Bitbox and co-founder of Shift Crypto, Douglas Bakum, recently. It's episode number 77. You can find it at anita.link forward slash 77. Tune in to hear his intentions and the core values behind the production of their hardware wallet. To be financially independent, it's important to hold your own keys. Shift cares about making it easy for you to keep your Bitcoin safe. The Bitbox O2 is Swiss-made and makes it simple to store and use your coins. I especially like that they have a Bitcoin-only edition too, and I can use the hardware wallet with my phone. Check out the Bitbox O2 at anita.link forward slash Bitbox O2. That's Bitbox02. You will get a 10% discount in the checkout with the code ANITA. Local Bitcoins is one of the most trusted and the largest peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platforms in the world. To learn more about local Bitcoins and their people, listen to my interview with Elena Tonoyan, the company's chief of operations at anita.link forward slash 68. On local Bitcoins, you can buy and sell your Bitcoin in an easy, fast and secure way, always protected by escrow. Local Bitcoins allows you to trade directly with people like you and you can choose any currency you prefer and find a safe payment method to complete your trade. Local Bitcoins also offers a web wallet so you can trade and deposit and send out your Bitcoin all in one account. Go to www.localbitcoins.com to buy and sell Bitcoin. And last but not least, I definitely recommend using a hardware wallet to store your Bitcoin. But if you have difficulties with the technical requirements and maintenance of hardware wallets, you can use the card wallet. 
The Card Wallet is a very simple and secure solution for long-term storage of Bitcoin and Ethereum. No software updates needed and it leaves no traces on the blockchain, which is good for your privacy. You can give it away as a gift or inheritance. You can send Bitcoin to it and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker founded in 2014. Listen to my interview with Kai Kremser. He is CardWallet's product manager at anita.link forward slash 72. If you order your CardWallet at cardwallet.com forward slash anita, you will get 20% off. And as always, thanks to the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, where you can not only find the Bitcoin and Co. podcast, but other relevant Bitcoin-related shows too. Hello and welcome Elise Peterson. Elise, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Anita. I invited you because a guy called Liam Ball, with whom I did an interview recently, it was episode number 76 for everybody who wants to listen to it. He spoke about your company and that you introduced him to Bitcoin as early as 2012 or maybe 2013. We will talk about why and how you are using Bitcoin later on. But first, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, my name is Elise. I'm based in Las Vegas, Nevada, although I started my work of this current company while living in Hawaii. And that is actually how uh, I know Liam Ball. He is a hobbyist tea farmer on the island of Maui. I, I was working with tea farmers in Hawaii while I was an MBA student at the University of Hawaii back in 2011, wrote a market feasibility study for Hawaii-grown tea. Uh, so tea, this is Camellia sinensis. All tea comes from that one plant. You get green, white, oolong, black, pu'er, and yellow tea from this plant. Since that time, I've become a bit of a tea expert, starting with that work in Hawaii now, since I've lived and worked on tea farms in Japan and built a network of independent tea growers around the world, I'm now empowering that network through technology, through a software product called TLET. And TLET is a B2B marketplace for these independent tea farmers and now extending this value beyond just the Camellia sinensis crop to herbs and spices and things such as cacao, which later goes into the chocolate industry, and allowing these independent farmers to connect with and do business more efficiently and more transparently with the international market. So B2B being business to business. So we are really the back end of the supply chain. And because all of the parties involved from the soil to the final consumer are all gaining information of each other. We are able to uh, provide transparency in that supply chain as well as efficiencies. And, and Bitcoin has definitely been a very important tool uh, for those efficiencies. Mm -hmm. So your basic uh, founding idea behind TLET was to connect tea growers and tea drinkers. Do I understand that right? 
That is exactly correct. In fact, uh, TLET originally started as a nonprofit that I had helped found in Japan with a group of tea farmers that actually gain access to the capital to start this nonprofit through a Japanese government grant following the tsunami of 2011. And we use that funds to promote the Japanese brand within the tea industry. And so this is how we were able to develop that initial network of independent tea growers from Korea, India, Sri Lanka, China, Taiwan, pretty much anywhere where tea was growing. And the whole mission was just to create that bridge between tea growers and tea lovers. And and really, to be honest, when I started that journey, I really thought it would stay a nonprofit. And I really thought it would stay a side project, uh, essentially blogging or doing any type of advocacy work uh, that I thought appropriate. But it just so happened that as we were developing this nonprofit, and we were foreseeing the struggles of maintaining capital for the project and the efforts, you know, all the farmers I was working with had said they had no capital sponsor this. And I come from a development background. I was actually in the Peace Corps prior to my MBA. So I'm very familiar with the grant writing process and what what the intricacies of running a nonprofit are like. And I didn't want to go down that route. And the partners that I was working with, the farmers said, well, you know, there's a for-profit initiative here. We have our tea. It is the most highly valued tea in the world. We just don't have a very clean and empowering supply chain, local market where they can take their product for the wholesale international market. Uh, That system is highly opaque, involving several middlemen uh, that are necessary, or maybe let's say they used to be necessary before we got to the state of technology and information sharing that we're at currently, we did need that network of international supply chain value adds. So that's the exporter, that's the broker, that's the wholesaler, that's the importer. All of those middlemen for the longest time, at least since tea became an international commodity, which really, you know, something interesting about that is tea has a 5,000 year history And we all know tea. Almost every culture in the world has some connection to tea of hospitality, of comfort, of energy. Yet in the the timeline of the history of tea, uh, it has only been an international commodity uh, since the British and the, the colonizing times when the British essentially developed their own industry you know, after the aftermath of the opium wars, which the opium wars were essentially about tea. You know, the the British wanted tea, the Chinese didn't value the British money at that time. And so the British found a way of getting the tea by essentially creating a demand for opium, uh, which they had plenty of supply from their colonized India areas And so they were essentially trading opium for tea and the Chinese government put their foot down and went to war over it a few times. uh, And the British just started to develop their own industries, taking the tea seeds and the tea plants to their colonized lands. So it's really interesting to think about that perspective. We all think tea to be so important, but 
really, it's a very modern phenomenon, a very modern commodity. And in that modernity has that very aggregated power source within those middlemen. And so we're talking about that supply chain absorbing 85% of the value of a product, leaving the farmer with just pennies left over. And so there's a big pain point, not just in tea, but tea is such a great product to focus this innovation upon because it really is one of our first cultivated products in human history and has played such an important role in globalization as well as in, you know, international conflict, as I just told you. So, um, and actually another tidbit of information about tea history is that when the first international trade routes were developed between China and Tibet, uh, tea was actually the main force. You know, the Tibetans' love of the Chinese tea, uh, the, the tea was actually sent to Tibet as a gift with a bride. You know, there's a, a legend of an emperor that sent his his daughter as a bride to the Tibetan king as a peace treaty, along with tea. So it was a, a bride and tea. And the Tibetans loved the tea so much they asked for more. And they had something the Chinese wanted, which was horses. And so we essentially had our first international trade route was built directly for the trade between uh, tea and horses. And so that trade route is actually called the, the ancient tea horse road. And all of the villages along the way of that path learned about this trade route and started to bring other goods, other preserved goods, such as dried mushrooms or other vegetables, spices uh, that entered into that circulation of trade. But there was no internationally recognized currency between these two societies. And so this tea uh, would get pressed into small coins and they would use the tea coins as an assessment of value as, as this trade started to become more and more complex. So tea is actually humans first form of currency. And so again, another reason why I think it's so appropriate to that we're taking something so humble and so ubiquitous such as tea to apply such a high level currency innovation and it's great because it's it's bringing the story of cryptocurrency to something that's very relatable to something that everybody can understand, you know, because I'm sure, you know, you've been involved in this world for a while. Uh, if you look at Bitcoin as a technology solely, you know, you can definitely find the enthusiasm within certain communities. But you try to share that enthusiasm with the layman, with the mass population. And it's confusing to say the least. And, you know, not a surprise that people are apprehensive or not trusting because they just don't understand it. And so I think it's really great to find these stories of relatable applications with something so basic such as tea. But, you know, as I've just explained with great passion, I think there's no better product than tea to apply this innovation to. Wow, that were very interesting stories. I didn't know about tea coins before. I'm definitely going to research that one because I agree telling stories is actually, I think, the best way to explain Bitcoin to, to the people on the streets when we want to say it that way. And yeah, there's a lot of parallels a little bit. Um, and it's also a reason why I wanted to invite you to this interview because I'm, I'm trying to show examples of people 
how they use Bitcoin and not only talk about uh, if it's a store of value or uh, how much speculation we do with it and these theoretical monetary things, but also how it is a tool to improve our freedom or our, our lives and and a global tool. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, as far as I understand, you are directly trading between growers and wholesale, or do you also have consumers as customers? Yeah, so we are, we are across the spectrum. We are open for doing all of our transactions in Bitcoin. It just so happens that the, the form, the method that has been most useful and that we continue to use now is utilizing cryptocurrency and it may not be bitcoin it's it's just whatever currency at the time is most ideal for the transaction and sometimes we don't have to use crypto sometimes it's a it's a full stack of like multiple methods of exchanging currencies across borders because that's like the biggest challenge not just for my business for every business even the big guys even the big guys that have the buying power to negotiate with the banks to get better services uh, and better fees. It's still a pain point for them. Anytime money moves, especially across a border, someone wants some value from that, uh, be it the banks or in some, some cases it's the governments themselves. Every country is operating very differently. And so what we find the most value in cryptocurrency now is for moving money across borders. And so we don't actually do any payments themselves in the crypto as far as paying the farmer in Bitcoin or Litecoin or uh, Ethereum. We, we don't do that uh, because uh, for them, there is no value for them. They, they need capital now. They need liquidity now. They need help now. So we're just using the cryptocurrency to move the funds into another country, which then instantaneously is exchanged. And so these exchanges happen so fast, there is no gain or loss. We're not trying to make any kind of gain on arbitrage or anything like that. We really just want to find more efficiencies. So our Bitcoin story started in 2013. As Liam Ball had mentioned to you, we were one of the first Bitcoin merchants in the world. And really, to be honest, that was, I, I have to give full credit to um, our developer, who we still work with, very talented developer out of Hawaii named Cody Moniz. And, uh, you know, at that time, we had just launched, we were maybe seven months into launching the business. I had received some limited venture capital, but as you know, with venture capital also comes venture capital pressure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had this pressure to do this enormous growth. Uh, so we were building, building, building. Nothing was really sticking. And, and ultimately now I've learned the reason why that happened was because we're bringing a new product to the market, like brand new level of quality, brand new level of ethics, brand new supply chain. So when you're bringing new things to the market, new solutions to the market, you have to be a little bit patient. You know, you can't just, you know, buy a bunch of traffic and assume that it's all going to work. And so we were actually at the end of our line of our startup phase. And I was really on the verge of shutting it all down. I really felt like we weren't getting the growth that the pressure was telling us we needed. And therefore, the company is not right. And so I told my developer, hey, we're kind of at the end of the line. Uh, I'm going to give you 
uh, two weeks and you can give me a list of all the projects. Like, first of all, which are the projects you think need to be done? And then I said, I'm going to allow you to throw in one project at the top of the list that doesn't need to be done that you just want done because Mm -hmm. he had dedicated so much time uh, and passion into helping me build for all those months. You know, I wanted to let him have some fun and do what he wanted. And so what he wanted to do was integrate Bitcoin payments on the website. Uh, It was just a retail website at that time. We weren't doing the wholesale just yet. And I was very apprehensive. I said, well, okay, sure, you can do that. But like, what am I going to do with Bitcoin? (laughs) You know, we're struggling right now. Like, you know, this company, you know, goes under. I can't, um, excuse me. That's my system is going off. Uh, his name is actually Bitcoin too. Our, uh, our oh, that, that's Bitcoin because I saw him on the on the website. Uh, yeah, 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 he's a very important uh, part of the company now. Yeah. He, he's your CFO, or what is he? Yeah, he's our CFO and head of security. Yeah, <laughs> security, security. I can hear the security. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I let him integrate it. And at that time, a Coinbase had just launched. So this was right when Coinbase launched their merchant tool. And uh, my developer said, Hey, you don't even have to hold the Bitcoin. Coinbase is going to let you instantaneously convert it to US dollar and there won't be any loss. So there's no harm in doing it. I said, okay, great. Sounds harmless. Let's do it. And we had paired it with a whole marketing campaign on Reddit, as well as several other Bitcoin discussion forums, just to let people know the parallels between the ethos of our business of, you know, peer-to-peer transparency, empowerment, cut out all the unnecessary things with the ethos of, of cryptocurrency and huge response. I'm talking like 98% conversion rate of purchase of the traffic coming from that marketing camp. That's unheard of, like unheard of. And so we just hit it at the right time, you know, right when Bitcoin was really starting to gain a lot of traction as far as value exchange for early, early movers, early adopters. Essentially at that time, we're becoming Bitcoin millionaires out of thin air at that time. And there was no place to spend your money but this enthusiasm to see the economy move towards that. So someone like me comes along and says, hey, I'm a normal business person, you know, trying to fit in here. And we just had huge support. And legitimately, that few months of, of sales when we first launched payments saved the company. But I was at like 92% of our total revenue was coming through Bitcoin at that time. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's credit card payments or other things. So it really helped the company. And it just so happened at that time, I had also gotten this dog for the office and we had a big team and we all decided to call the dog Bitcoin because of that story. And so now, now I have Bitcoin, which, you know, I'm really grateful for uh, because it's, again, allowed me to tell the story of Bitcoin. You know, I, I just got back from the dog park. And people ask, oh, your dog's cute. What's his name? Oh, his name's Bitcoin. And, you know, years ago they would say, oh, I heard the CEO of Bitcoin is corrupt. Like, that's bad. Why do you name your dog Bitcoin? Really great because then it became an education platform for me to say, well, I named my name, my dog Bitcoin because of this, this, and that. And this is a real world thing. And this is tea. You can drink it and taste it and, and know, 
you know, that, that, that Bitcoin played some role in it. And so now it's, it's a lot different when people hear his name is Bitcoin. They, they think it's funny. They think it's creative. You know, I still get a little bit of the, oh, you must, you must be rich. You must have a bunch of Bitcoin. And I say, no, no, no. I've kept my story so that the only Bitcoin I'm holding is this dog. And it's the most valuable one, of course. Always, no matter how how high the rate for Bitcoin goes, this one is the most valuable one. And, uh, you know, I really want to keep my story that way. I received an angel investment uh, actually from our very first customer. The very first customer who found us on Reddit and who bought tea from us was actually a very early Bitcoin miner, very influential Bitcoin miner who later became a good friend of ours. He loved the tea. He loved the whole campaign. He reached out to me and then I ended up meeting him at a few Bitcoin conferences and we had just developed a friendship. And uh, he later on uh, became an angel investor and we took an investment in Bitcoin. Of course, my CPA and my lawyer weren't so happy about me holding Bitcoin as an investment like that. They wanted all the documentation to be uh, written and signed in U.S. dollar. So even though the transaction itself happened in uh, Bitcoin, in order for us to document it as a U.S. dollar, we had to exchange that before coming into our account. And so the reason why I tell you that story is because that was a $50,000 investment when Bitcoin was worth $170. Um, Mm -hmm. And I exchanged all that to U.S. dollar immediately and put it in our account. You know, and I tell that story and some people get really sad. And they're like, (laughs) you could have had that Bitcoin. And, you know, I don't allow myself to get sad because I have so much more to be grateful for in the education and, you know, just the great times too. And being a part of this community that otherwise I probably would have never been welcomed in. I'm not a programmer. I'm not a technologist. I'm a food scientist. You know, so that's a little bit different. You know, I, I I probably would have never seen myself in a in such like a innovative, forward thinking community if if it hadn't been for my experience and 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 building Tlet within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, so I'm not sad that I'm not a Bitcoin millionaire because I know there's so much more value that still has yet to even be realized as well. I think many of us are no millionaires um, and we are here because of the the ideas and the philosophy of Bitcoin and and the things that might be happening in the future and how it will change our way, how we treat our planet or how we do economics to be more sustainable and things and degrow a little bit. And what I would like to ask you is, Do you today store a little bit of your reserves, company reserves in Bitcoin, or are you still just using it as a payment way? Yeah, we're still just using it as a, a payment. Yeah, that's... And you, you save on the transaction fees, I guess, because uh, if you would use PayPal or credit cards, it's more expensive, or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that that was the continuation of the story. You know, we started out with Bitcoin and retail and the sales on that did start to drop after a few months, you know, mm-hmm. and at that same time, I was realizing how painful the traditional bank wires and PayPal were. So we're talking on average 12% loss. That means on average, if I sent $100 to a farmer, By the time their money got into their account and they counted it, there'd be $88 there. Um, mm-hmm. That's just unacceptable. 
Like I know bigger companies probably negotiate better rates, but even uh, a better rate, you know, still may be five or 6%, which, you know, is still a lot of money. Uh, especially when you're working with farmers in rural areas that are already working on small margins and, you know, deep oppression. So it was a very easy choice to make when, you know, I learned about tools that could help us use a cryptocurrency. Um, and so now we use a, um, a product called Veeam, V-E-E-M. It used to be called Align Commerce and they exclusively support uh, B2B transactions and almost in every country around the world. Actually, a lot of the countries that I work in, they, they weren't working in. They didn't prioritize com- countries like Malawi or Nepal. But whenever I came along and I said, hey, you know, I do a lot of work in those countries. You need to, to have it set up. And so now they're, they're, they're set up all over the world and make it very easy. And their fee is only 1.9% flat fee, fiat, fiat. So that's mm-hmm. like a credit card transaction. Oh, okay. And and what is the average Bitcoin transaction fee at the moment? So what do you have to pay to use Bitcoin? There is a flat 1.9% fiat to fiat. Oh, okay. Yeah, 1.9. So like that means that if I want to send $100, by the time it reaches Nepal or Malawi and gets transferred into their currency and you see the, the exchange rate, they should receive uh, 98.9 cents. Yeah. Or 98.9 dollars versus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do customers still pay you in Bitcoin? And did what's the development here? Do more people pay you in Bitcoin or less than like 2013? Yeah, a, a lot less, a lot less. And I don't know what those factors are. For a little while, the problem was even when Bitcoin hit 20,000, the, what do you call that? The, the, the transaction fee was actually very high. And, mm-hmm. and so consumers were not very excited to be doing casual transactions. Cause I think at one point the transaction fee got up to like $50 US or something like that. So it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. I know it's gone down quite a bit now. And, and I know that there is still an effort to encourage companies and consumers to do more Bitcoin transactions. One of those initiatives is uh, Bitcoin Black Friday, which we were a part of in the 2013 Bitcoin Black Friday. And it was a phenomenal day uh, of sales. You know, there was some solidarity and, and, and moving our purchases together. And actually that day, Bitcoin value went up significantly. And mm-hmm. like in one day, yeah. No, I could I could imagine that many people don't want to spend their Bitcoin at the moment because they wait for for its price to rise, maybe. Yeah. And also, also what you said is true. The transaction fees were very high in 2017. So, do you do you follow the developments around the Lightning Network, which is for microtransactions or smaller transactions? I don't, I don't follow it uh, exactly, but I, I do know about it. And I do know about the innovations happening. I just, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen the, the culture change yet. And maybe that'll happen. And, you know, there's going to be another big push, an even bigger push for this year's Bitcoin Black Friday, which we'll be a part of. And so that could be, you know, some movements to, to get people excited about spending their Bitcoin again versus, 
trying to hold out because that's how the, the value goes up actually is with more, you know, demand and with more transactions happening. Mm-hmm. I've, I found some articles about your startup journey from 2014. And in one of these articles, you were talking about the perspective of developing a network of Bitcoin payments in India. Did you, were you able to build up such a network? Do, do you pay growers in, in India with Bitcoin? We do. Yeah. And, and that was through that company. So I just recommend that company. They, they do all of that work. It's mm-hmm. called VEEM. And yeah, they work within India. They work within China. I mean, every country that we work in, they're, they're there. And so they manage the networks. Those networks exist. They don't need to be built. They just have to be brought used. Together, used. Yeah, brought together. So, And at that time, yeah, about India, that was like before this Veeam product existed. And that was the plan. Now I have a very different plan in mind and I share this idea because I want someone else to build it. Uh, If I need to build it, and again, I'm not a technologist, so me building things requires a a bit more time and a bit more, you know, help from others. But if I have to build it, I will. But my, my new idea that I would like to see built is essentially a microfinance banking You know, and I've seen some models utilizing cryptocurrency to fund microloans for consumers. And, 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 you know, but what, what I'm thinking of is this, this is like a Kiva model or Grameen Bank, which are like the, the, the two biggest players of microfinance, uh, micro entrepreneurial finance in the developing world where You know, consumers can, it's almost like a donation, but you're going to get your money back because it's a loan, but you donate small amounts and then those funds are distributed in small amounts to micro entrepreneurs, uh, such as women in the bush of Africa to invest in buying a cow. And then mm-hmm. the cow becomes a business mechanism for that family requiring very little capital. Uh, but there's a lot of problems with that system. Like as ideal as it is, uh, the biggest problem is that the average interest rate on these loans is 20%. That the, no legitimate business in the developed world would ever take a, 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 a micro business loan at that amount. You know, there may be some like elite, very large loan products that have interest rates like that most businesses probably wouldn't take either but we're talking about just like a $200 loan having a 25% fee on it and the reason why that interest rate is so high is because these loans are extremely high risk so it's understandable like you know you're loaning money to illiterate people that have never run a business before and you're not actively engaged in their business and helping them improve and, and building confidence in the market for them. Yeah, you, you better believe that the success rate is going to be very low. Uh, but in the model that we've built, you know, now I've been working with some of these farmers for close to a decade. And I have sales records of the movement of the tea within the network of buyers we currently have. Like I, with 100% confidence, can say what the demand for their product next year is going to be minimal. You know, so you can take this information, this confidence 
as collateral, like what a normal business does when they go to the bank to get a loan, you know, they show their, 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 their financials, they show their business history and they use that as collateral to say, okay, we'll back this because we know you're legit. We, we, we can assess the risk here. And then we can start talking about loans in a more approachable range with interest rates less than 10%, which is, you know, a respectable loan for a business. And, uh, you know, a traditional bank may not be into this. And that's where I, I think that the cryptocurrency community may be. You know, maybe the consumer as well as the, these businesses, right? And so this is where I actually think that this business model is really going to take off is when you can tell an entire industry ecosystem, uh, and in this case, it would be the buyers. So these are tea companies or food companies that are sourcing in bulk the demand that they need for their production capacity. Allow them to be the investors of future harvests of the products they're going to buy anyway. So they they invest, maybe they get some up to some 40% discount, essentially, because they invested early. They gave the farmer the money before the farmer even put the seed in the ground. And essentially what's happening, I think, is that the farmer will, for every new harvest they're going to have or every new project, could essentially launch an ICO. And the value of that coin and the, the specifications of that coin is, is all basically the loan terms. And it's a utility coin because the value of the coin is not associated with the value of that project or the value of that business. The value of that coin is associated with the value of the future harvested product. So before the seed is in the ground, the value is very low. But then once the seed goes in the ground, the value starts to go up. And then once the plants start to grow, the value goes up. And then once it's harvested, the value goes up. And then once it's available for the market, it's at its, its highest value. And so an investor could either cash out at that time, take their money back and be happy, or they can reinvest those earnings into new projects. But who's going to be the most interested in this are those food businesses then, and the farmer is going to be happy too because they don't repay the loan with money. They repay the loan with the product. You know, mm-hmm. it's incredible. Like I love thinking about these systems to try to make them as distributed and as localized as possible. And then this is something exciting. If you think about this, this overarching model of kind of breaking down financing projects into like it's its own economic system it's its own currency you know each coin associated with each project so even like a huge multinational corporation could break their spreadsheets could break their balance sheets up into funding projects individually you know it could bring more efficiency and and transparency in how businesses run so that you know you can better projects or expand into projects knowing exactly how the economics of each project is running and you can involve your consumers and you can involve your business partners in financing those projects and having very tight control and transparency of the performance of each of those projects and and each of their monies you know i know this is like a a, it's so simple but then it's also so far-fetched in the you know a conventional corporate mindset, but it's just the way I think. I like to think very primal. I like to think very simply because 
I've been exposed to all the most complex things. I'm American, you know, I'm a privileged American. I've been exposed to very complex, technologically advanced things. But the things that have like interested me the most and got me the most excited and made me feel the most secure and the most comfortable are things like soil, seeds, water, and sunlight. You know, mm -hmm. pretty simple things. So the basic um, stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it sounds sounds like a great idea. So if anybody is listening uh, who can uh, code or build such a project and and fund it, contact Elise. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to help to help somebody. Again, I I don't need to build this thing. I just I want it built. You know, I think the world could really benefit for something like this. How did Bitcoin or the perception of Bitcoin change for you in the last years since 2013? I mean, before you said, talking about the name of your dog, that people now know about Bitcoin, but how has it changed for you? For me, I just like, I think Bitcoin has taught me a lot and I'm sure others in the industry as well in the community about the value of patience. Mm -hmm. it's it's so interesting the phenomenon that happens when you are a part of something revolutionary when you're and you feel it and you know it and everybody's talking about it and all the people around you are preaching it to you so you know it 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 seems like time is going to go so fast and that you have to you have to do it now and we have to grow it now and it has to happen now and here we are eight years later and you know Overall, I'm still the same person. I have the same ideas. I feel very similar. I'm a little bit older, but I feel very similar. <laughs> so it's like, what was all of that, like, anxiety and, like, you know, uh, this feeling of needing to rush everything when, you know, everything is going to happen in the time it needs to happen, you know? And so I think that, I don't know. I, I feel like that, right? Because, and then there's, like, these moments where, like, There is a lot of excitement going on, specifically around the the exchange rates of Bitcoin, which, you know, again, I'm not attached to that by any means because I don't own any Bitcoin. So I'm not invested in that way. I'm, I'm invested more in seeing more of the community adopting it and understanding it and, and supporting it and building tools around it and innovation. But, but even my friends that are early miners and, you know, like, The, the, they used to constantly be talking about the value going up and down and constantly have their eyes on it. And I think people have kind of eased up on that a little bit. And it's that same kind of feeling that I was just talking about of like, okay, it's going to do what it needs to do in the time it's going to do it. I'm just going to kick back and live my life versus, you know, having all this anxiety about what it needs to do. Yeah. And so I, I kind of get that feeling from my friends that are like very early adopters They hardly talk about Bitcoin anymore. You know, they're sitting on the of it and they know the value is going to go up, but like that excitement has really worn off. But I think the passion and the ethos and the culture is still there, which is, which is important. Yeah. And there are always new people coming in with each wave. You have new people who get excited and are impatient and need to learn that you have to be patient and think in the long term. Yeah. We're coming to an end soon. May I ask you a question about what would you like the world to know? I mean, there's a question. Tim Ferriss is always asking it in his podcast. What would you like to put on an ad that is published on all social media platforms? A short message for everybody to see. What would that be? Uh, 
value more, consume less. Yeah. Yeah, it's simple. It's simple. I mean, (laughs) I guess consume less in terms of consume or buy the things you need you yeah. really need and not only to to like compensate for other things uh, or shortcomings or something yeah yeah the quantity is not as important as the quality right and we've been trained we've been programmed over the past few centuries now it's a few centuries in the works the industrialization really exploded this for us and trained us, the marketers that mm-hmm. came in that really convinced our society that that success is seen through quantity versus quality and look where it's gotten us you know it's it's destroyed our planet it's created hate you know within peoples during a time that we really could have been creating a whole bunch of unity you know as we are globalizing and connecting with each other with 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 understanding and uh, opportunity of progress and business, we really could have built a whole lot of understanding, but instead there's so many more divisions. And, you know, I think that our cultural identity as consumers has played a very, very big role on that. And so now, you know, people ask me, oh, should I buy fair trade? Like, do I, do I need to shop somewhere special uh, so that, you know, I can be more ethical and it's like, no, like you'll kill yourself trying to study everything because there's lies everywhere. Everybody is lying to you. Everybody is keeping secrets about how the reality is. But what you can trust is quality. You can't make a very fine quality product, artisanal quality product with oppressed employees, with mm-hmm. employees. You can't, and, and, and you can't make high quality product injecting chemicals into the soil and ruining the soil. So, you know, becoming a connoisseur, even if you're broke, you know, I tell my friends, well, I have a lot of friends that are financially struggling right now because of the pandemic. And I'm like, Hey, this is the perfect chance for you to like really challenge yourself to let go of that attachment to the quantity of things that we own declare our success. Cause it's like, that's out the window now. <laughs> We're not having money now. So instead, find things that you really, 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 really enjoy. Even if they cost more, okay, then buy less of it. Just buy one-tenth that you usually thought you needed to buy. You know, it's like uh, chocolate bars are a really good example of that. You know, you can buy the giant Hershey bar at the grocery store for a dollar. And then you go to your friend's chocolate shop where, you know, they've done a lot of hard work to source the best cacao from artisans that put in a lot of good effort and labor and may have a really good quality chocolate bar. And that bar of chocolate may cost you $12. I'm not kidding. They're $12 mm-hmm. chocolate bars. And, uh, and you may feel ripped off. It's like, hey, I could have bought 12 large Hershey bars from the store. But instead I got this one. But when you open that bar and you really engage with the experience that comes with that $12 chocolate bar, you realize, Hey, there was actually a lot more value. You know, I could eat just a little nibble on this and get way more value from this than if I had all 12 of those Hershey bars, you know? And so that's, that's the message. And it all just can wind down to those uh, four words, value more, consume less. Thank you very much. That's a great ending for this interview. Please tell our listeners where they can find you and your company and maybe buy tea. 
Yeah, so I can be found through email, elise at tlet.com. And again, my name is spelled E-L-Y-S-E. And I can be found, the the wholesale business, if you want to see that, is at tlet.com. But then since the pandemic has hit, I've diversified what we're doing. And we now have a a retail website and community with a a very rigorous live streaming schedule. So I'm doing daily live streams through Twitch and Facebook. And um, you can find all that information at tanditspeople.com. Okay, great. I will put that all in the show notes. Thank you very much. I hope we can stay in contact in one or the other way. And all the best to you and also to Bitcoin. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, he says uh, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Next time he says. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for today. If you like my show, please share it with your friends and hit the subscribe button in your podcast player now. Thanks to my sponsors who make it possible that I can produce the show. Localbitcoins.com, Shift Crypto with the Bitbox O2 and Coinfinity with their card wallet. Music. Start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production. Yours truly, Anita Posh. 